Let's go ahead and jump in. We got a lot to cover today. So I'm just going to jump right ahead and jump in. I'm going to ask us to do something that we don't always do, but we do occasionally. Um, can we stand for the reading of God's Word? Uh, a lot is going to be said today. Much is, is spoken in the context of a, of a sermon, but we know that what is about to be read is the living, active, breathing Word of God, and we want to honor it by standing to our feet as we read this. I'm going to read these verses, just have a few of them here real fast that I want to read to you. This is uh, John 1, 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Next we have uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Everyone, this is Jesus speaking, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now we have James 1, 22. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.7. I just want these to kind of be in our minds, be in our thinking. It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Can we read that one together? 2 Corinthians 5.7. Let's go, church. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And then Ephesians 2 verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Can I get an amen? I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you this day, this morning, in this moment, God, that your presence is here with us, that you respond to us as we respond to you, that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us, that as we seek your face, you are so abundantly, ridiculously faithful to meet with us. So God, we set aside distraction, we set aside the cares and worries of our week and of our day, and we choose to focus our attention, and God, above that and beyond that, God, our affection upon you. And we would just humbly and yet boldly ask that you would speak to us this day, God, that you would deliver your word to our hearts, that in the midst of all that is said today, the word that we are in so desperate need of would come and would penetrate through everything and reach into our hearts and transform our thinking. God, let it be buried and planted in our hearts. Let it transform the way that we perceive and process the world. God, let it change the way we think. Let it change the way we behave. Let us be doers of the word. Don't let us be those who are deceived, but let us apply and do and respond in obedience to what it is we hear today that we might be transformed, that we might actually receive some benefit from coming here, gathering and hearing your word preached. God, we celebrate you. We rejoice in you. We glorify and honor you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. We're not done reading the Bible, don't worry. In case that wasn't enough for you. Um, we're going to continue to jump in here. We've been looking specifically, I just wanted to get those verses in our thinking. We've been looking specifically at John chapter 15 um, over the last several months. Uh, John 15, 1 through 11 in total. I'm going to read these verses and then we'll, we really will jump in. Um, it says, I am the true vine. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already 
You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we've been looking at this idea, this concept of abiding, resting, and trusting in Jesus. As a branch rests and abides in a vine, we rest and abide in Jesus. That happens, we see in, uh, in Ephesians 2.8. By grace, through faith. So our experience of God's grace, come on somebody, is directly tied to our, our, our journey and our pathway and our, our life and journey of faith. These are tied together. When I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, just sitting down and talking to them, if they really understand, please hear me on this, if they, if they really grasp the whole idea that, that God is a holy and just God, that God is an amazing uh, uh, magnanimous, come on somebody, just stupendous, awesome, fantastically huge and amazing God, which he is, right? If they get that, if they grasp that, if they truly understand, which they must in the context of the gospel, if we, if we grab a hold of that and we understand that, and then in the, in the response to that we understand the distance between us and him, we understand how, how amazing he is and how utterly unamazing we are in relationship to him. When we understand our depravity in light of his gloriousness, it takes great faith, come on somebody, to trust that that kind of God could ever look away, could ever not just look away, but, but pardon, not just pardon, but completely and utterly reconcile me to him and transform me into his image and make it as if I never committed the horrible atrocities that I did. That takes faith. So therefore, our experience of God's grace is directly tied to our faith in Him and our abiding in Him all happens through this pathway, through this, this journey of faith. Come on, I don't know about you, but when I, when I stumble, when I fall, when I, when I act the way I used to act before Jesus drug me back into his kingdom, I struggle with the thought that I can still be in relationship with him. I wonder, I go, man, is, is, did, it, did it work? Am I just faking this thing? Am I just, am I, have I just hung around with these weird Christians long enough to fake being like them? Or, or have I really been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? Have I really been taken from death to life? Because that pathway is what we're calling the ancient path of faith. 
Because it has always been, it is, and it will always be the path of faith that causes us to go further up and further in to the gospel, further up and further in to the kingdom. So that led us, as we're looking at this passage, we've then shifted as we've kind of chewed through this and worked through this. We then said, okay, if I'm supposed to abide, if I'm supposed to rest, it's going to take some faith. Now, faith is a gift. Come on, somebody. It's, it's a gift. It's given to you just like the grace is given to you to reconcile you. But, but you and I will struggle with one of two things, typically. Not to, like, lump everybody into <laughs> categories. But typically, you'll either be a religious person and you'll go, I can do it myself. I can do it good enough. I can make it up. I can make, I, you know what? It's like a teeter-totter, right? Like I've done some bad over here, but I'll do some good over here. I'll help an old lady across the street. And that'll make up for, you know, the dude I punched. I'll like throw a little bit in the bucket that goes by and that takes care of the, you know, that I did earlier. You know, like we'll just, we'll just kind of make up. We'll just try, try, to, try to balance everything out. The fact is, it doesn't matter how much good you do, if you've broken the law, you're guilty. You can't balance it out. So if you're, if you're, if you're this guy over here, you're host. Like it's, just, it's not going to work out for you. Or you're over here and you're wretched, right? Like you, you know that you suck at life. You are fully aware of your depravity and your sinfulness. Like it doesn't matter. What Jesus did, it was good enough for like Billy Graham. It was good enough for like my grandma but not me. And both of these people, both, both groups have to come to the place where they go, I'm going to abandon either my, my, my wretchedness or my religion and I'm going to trust in Jesus. Because hear me, neither of these two things stop you from being able to be reconciled to Christ. If Jesus is chasing you, my advice to you is just stop running. He's faster than you. He's stronger than you. He's more committed to knocking your butt down and dragging you back in the kingdom than you are running away from him. Trust me. I shared this before. When I, when I finally gave up, I remember I, remember I was in like a, a, a camp kind of environment, a conference kind of environment, a, a revivalish type environment, and I remember being in a chair and the guy saying, like, if you want to repent of your sin, if you want to abandon your wretchedness or abandon your religion, I don't remember exactly the words he said, but ultimately, if, if you want to give up and, and let Jesus come on forward, and I remember like getting up going, like, I don't want to do this, like walking forward, like, why am I, uh, I don't like this. I don't want to be with these people. And then I was like up at the front, like, I don't like any of these people. It's horrible. You thought I was kidding about how horrible I was before Jesus. And I remember being there, and yet at the same time, Jesus was so absolutely attractive, I couldn't stay in my chair any longer. Now, please hear me. It had nothing to do with getting up and going to the front. You could be converted sitting in your chair right now. You don't need to come up to the front. There is no proper biblical amount of snot you have to blow all over the carpet and crying to get saved, okay? There's no magic prayer I can pray for you. that gets, You need to repent of either your, your wretchedness or your religion and trust in Jesus. That's it. But I thought there was a prayer. Read the whole Bible. I've read it. It's not in there. Dear Jesus, please. It's not there, okay? <laughs> repent. Turn from your sin. Admit that you're wrong. Jesus is right. Admit that you suck at life, but he doesn't. And his goodness is far more than enough to overcome your wretchedness or your failed religious attempts. Either way, it takes faith. So that led us to Hebrews chapter 11, 
So it's kind of the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to people predominantly that are religious. I'll just let you know that. He's writing to people who are religious, and they're struggling. They're going like, look, we've, we've kind of, we've done the branch and the vine thing, but it's tough because I, I want to I I feel better about myself by, by doing something good. I want to I somehow justify the grace that has been given to me. They didn't like the idea that Jesus came down and grabbed them and sanctified them. Okay, sorry. Sanctified is like a really fancy Bible word. I apologize. I shouldn't have, like, thrown it. Sanctified, okay, here's what sanctified means. Anybody have siblings, right? You had siblings, right? And mom grabbed two suckers, and she was like, well, you guys can each have a sucker. You wanted the red one and not the blue one, so what'd you do? You grabbed the red one, you stuck it in your mouth, and you, you just sanctified that sucker. It's yours, right? Like, your sibling, I'm not touching it anymore. It's mine. That's what Jesus did. Okay, he sanctified you. He grabbed you. He said, you're mine. And they struggled with that idea. They went, no, I have to, I have to do something. So he, what he did, what the writer of Hebrews here did is he, he grabs their culture and he grabs the rock stars of their culture. He grabs, he grabs the people that, that they all looked up to, which were Old Testament saints, which if you were raised in church, those are the guys that we put on the flannel graph in, in Sunday school. They're the guys that you wore your dad's bathrobe and pretended to be in some weird play at church that your grandma came to. And that one aunt who smelled funny and never really came to church and didn't really seem happy to be there. That, right? Like that was, that was these guys. So what he shows them is, look, it's always been by grace through faith. This pathway of faith, this trusting in the goodness of God is not a new thing that came around when like God didn't give up on his old way and come up with a new way. It has been, it is, and it always will be that we trust in Jesus, whether it was in the Old Testament and they were trusting that he would come, or it was in the New Testament trusting that he had come, or whether it's now trusting that back then he did come, it's always been trusting that God would make a way and overcome our wretchedness and our religion. So we see here Hebrews chapter 11, this this passage, this chapter is where he's going to go through like, all those rock stars for these guys and go, look, all of them did what they did by faith. And so what we've been doing, we've been looking at this whole idea of, of a life and a journey and a pathway of faith and looking at them and going, what can we learn about this life of faith and this journey further up and further into the gospel, further up and further into the kingdom from the way these guys lived? Simple enough, right? So Hebrews chapter 11, this is 1 through 3. This is from the message paraphrase of the Bible. It reads nice and smooth, and we just needed to grab this so we kind of have a working understanding of what faith is. It says the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, what is it? It's the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, all those, those guys they all looked up to. It distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd, not their performance, but they're trusting in God's perfection, right? Their faith. It distinguished them. It set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we can't see. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to jump in here now. And I want to try to very briefly, as briefly as I can, I want to try to get us caught up to where we are in Hebrews. Last week, we kind of we re-looked back at John 15 and made sure we got where we were and walked through this because we're kind of walking two paths at the same time here, right? We're looking through John 15. We're looking through Hebrews 11. I don't know about you, but I always think it's cool when 
God's word echoes itself, right? When we see that connection there, and that's my hope, is that you're seeing this connection. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 here real fast, see where we've come from. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just going to try to give us a quick overview. So by faith, that's the, that's the constant drum rhythm of this passage. By faith, this guy did this. By faith, this guy did this. And we've been trying to look and see by faith, what is it like? What happens? So by faith, we understand that faith offers, right? We looked at Abel. Abel gave an offering. We understand that faith causes us to be someone who gives and who is generous, not, not, <laughs> so that we can somehow make God forced to give us stuff. Well, I put $5 in the bucket that went by, so now I get 50. Tenfold, that is zero. It's not the way it works. Okay, it's not. We give not so that we can somehow contractually obligate God to give to us, we give because Jesus has already given. God has already invested the most valuable thing on the planet and off the planet and in all existence. He has given himself to you. If he gives you nothing else for the rest of your life, you still owe him everything. We give because we've already been given to. We've already received. We don't give to get. We give because we already got. Take a breath. That was a gift. So you ought to give back to the Lord. So, so the life of faith is a life that gives not to get, but a life that gives because by faith, I understand that all has been given to me, so now I ought to give all back to him. So faith offers, faith gives, faith is generous. Come on, somebody. Faith walks, though. We saw this. We saw that in Enoch, faith walks. It's not about a one-time thing. It's not about a weekly thing. It's about a day-in, day-out, moment-by-moment, season-by-season, year-by-year. It is all of it. It's, it's constantly, consistently walking. Too often, we want to make grand, huge, giant, banner-type things happen, and we want to abandon the moment-to-moment -moment walking. Jesus desires to be in your moment-to-moment -moment life. He desires to have an intimate, growing, personal relationship with you. That's the, that's the point of this whole reconciliation and abiding thing. So faith, obey, or faith, faith offers Faith walks. We then saw in Noah that faith builds. Faith builds something. So it's not just about, well, my faith is all about me and Jesus. I give to him and he walks with me and that's all I need. That's not in the Bible anywhere. The gospel has never been about just you. The gospel has been about you being reconciled not only to God, but back to the people of God. The Bible says he takes the orphan and he places them in the midst of family. The Bible calls us the family of God. You're supposed to be taken from where you were alone and placed somewhere where you are in a family and together. Noah built the ark and it saved his family. And it saved, honestly, it saved the human race. Come on, somebody. We build the church because in the church we see our families saved. In the church we see our society transformed. It is through the church. We don't make apologies for the church. The church isn't perfect. But the church is still the primary instrument of God in the world. It is through his people that he preaches the gospel. It is through his people that he makes disciples. And therefore, it is through his people that he advances the kingdom. We think the church is kind of a big deal. So we see that faith offers, faith walks, faith builds. Then we got to see Abraham and we saw faith obeys. God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give up everything they had to go in search of something that he would give them. And they obeyed. They responded. 
Faith hears and faith responds. Amen? And then what we saw was this crazy, I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We saw that, that while they were obeying, it says that they were looking for a city whose designer and builder is God. Faith obeys, but faith looks to the future. Faith looks past the temporal and into the eternal. Faith goes, I, I don't really even care so much, come on, whether or not I get what I want on this side of eternity because ultimately what I want is going to be mine on that side of eternity. And ultimately what I want isn't stuff, isn't the streets of gold, isn't the shiny palace, isn't the room in, in his mansion. It's Jesus. What I want is Jesus. And we saw that in eternity when we see the city of God, the city that God designed and built himself Everything in the city is transparent. Everything can be seen through. Even the gold is so pure, the Bible tells us, that you can see through it. The reason for that? Nothing in eternity gets between you and Jesus. Even the city he wants to give you and build for you is not good enough without him there. So he says, I'm going to make it so that even the walls can be seen through so you see me. Because it's all about Jesus. Which is the next thing that faith understands. It's all about Jesus. Which fundamentally means, I love you, it's not about you. Faith understands that it's all about Jesus, that ultimately it's his purpose, it's his fulfillment, it's his, his goals, his mission that we're a part of it. It says that I don't need to understand how God's going to do it. I don't have to be the star of it all. I don't have to be the one to kind of get to play the biggest role. I'm happy to play a supporting role to Jesus. Like even in my own salvation, I played a supporting role to Jesus. It also understands that, like Jacob, your shortcomings, your sinfulness, your wretchedness isn't going to stop God from changing you and using you. And it understands that even in your success, like Joseph, this great successful guy, your success is not an end, it is a means. God will use it for his purposes to fulfill his destiny to fulfill his mission in the earth. And for that, we rejoice and celebrate because thank God he chose to use me. So today, we're going to continue in our look at Hebrews. And we're going to see something. We're going to see that faith follows the unseen. Faith follows the unseen. The Bible, we read it earlier. We walk by faith, not by sight. Because see, faith follows the, the unseen because faith sees the invisible through the audible. Faith sees what God says more than it sees what it, what, it, what it perceives with the eye. Faith looks past the physical and goes to this weird audible place, which just follow me here a little bit. I want to I read us this passage. Can we, go this, can we do this old school? Can I just tell you the passage and you actually go there? Are we allowed to do that in a, in a day and age of flat screens? Okay, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, and I, this takes me back, actually having to give you the reference, this is awesome. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23, Hebrews eleven twenty-three. you get there and we're going to go there in a minute. Here's what I want you to see, faith is all about what we hear, not about what we see. By faith, or through faith, or by grace, through faith, faith comes by hearing, Hearing by the word of God, we, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by what we hear. Come on, somebody. People of faith, if 
you've ever known somebody who really lives their life by faith, if you're really honest with yourself, they seem a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Right? They're a little, like, off. And the truth is, is that the reason why is they look at stuff and they see it, and you look at stuff and you see it, and they go, yeah, I see that, but I heard this, so I'm going to believe what I heard more than what I see. And, and, and that's that we lock people up for that. Right? Like, that's crazy. But what I want us to see is this. While it certainly is crazy, the Scriptures tell us it's the wisdom of God. The Scriptures tell us that it's, it's actually not crazy. It's actually not insane. This may seem insane, but it's not insane. The life of faith is a life. Here's why. It's a life of following the Word of God. We follow what we hear God saying. So when God says this, we respond in obedience. We've already gone over it. In the context of a community of faith, submitting to one another in love, checking it with, with other people that we know love Jesus and love us, but we respond in obedience to what we hear God saying. This is not something that's meant to be more mystical than necessary. Let's be real. If we're talking about a relationship with God where we hear him talk and we respond in obedience, that, that's, that's mystical enough, right? I don't think we have to make it, we don't have to turn the fog machine on, right? We don't have to like twinkle the lights just right and get the little hummy music in just a low enough octave to make you feel spiritual. It's relationships are mystical enough. Let me, let me just explain. Have you ever figured out sometimes like why you meet two people and you're like, I like you and not so much? Why? Because it's just, it's, but you're like, why? I don't know. They look funny. I don't know why. I had friends, they were twins. They acted the same. I liked this one. I didn't like that one. He annoyed me. He was cool. Everyone was like, they they look the same. They smell the same. They talk the same. They act the same. Like, I like him. I don't like him. Ryan's cool. Jeff's a nerd. Relationships are a mystery. Why do you love your spouse? You should remember that occasionally, just so we're clear, right? Like, write it down. Relationships are mystical. Relationships are a mystery, even more so when we're talking about a relationship with an invisible God. But what we're talking about ultimately here is this. We're talking about about responding in obedience to what we hear God saying. So God's word and our response, this is what I'm, I'm trying to help to see here, are foundational to the life of faith. God's word and our receiving and responding to it are foundational. See, this is where, yeah, it's crazy, it's insane. Yeah, to the world it seems crazy. To the world it seems insane. But when you walk up to somebody who loves Jesus, loves his word, and is following after him, come on somebody, and you tell them, they go, yeah, that makes sense, it's totally in his word. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If a whole bunch of other believers look at you and go, you're nuts, maybe check it out a little bit. Back up for a second. Because what we're supposed to be following is his word. I know this is, this is probably, I'm just going to be honest with you, the most overstated and overlooked element to the life of devotion to Christ. Because we, we want a more complicated answer than open your Bible and read it and do what it says. I don't, I don't like what it says. Yeah, me neither. Did he just say he doesn't like the Bible? I read stuff in the Bible that I go, that's going to suck to obey. <laughs> the difference is, because I have been reconciled to Christ, I fall to my knees and ask for the grace to be obedient. 
I don't try harder. I don't go, okay, well, that's, that's what I have to do. <laughs> Grab my bootstraps and pull on them. That's supposed to lift you somehow. <laughs> I'm not really sure how. So I got on my bag. I pulled on my bootstraps. I just, it didn't help at all. No, it's not about that. It's about trusting more. It's about going, okay, Jesus, you call me to do that. You call, I'm, this is just me. You call me to love people. I suck at that. I've proven for 34 years I'm not good at that. So if you call me to do it and you say that I need to bear fruit, I hope you got a lot of grace because it's going to take some. And then here's what I find. I find as I trust and as I abide and I have faith to believe that he's actually going to love people through me, I find myself loving people. Might seem crazy. Might go, I'm trying to love people and people look at me and go, you don't like people though. How are you going to love people? I don't know, but I think Jesus is going to do it through me. It's foundational. It's fundamental. It's at the, it's at the corner, at the, at, the, at the foundation of the corner of what we're doing here. Come on, somebody. It's faith. It's, it's being obedient to what we hear, not what we see. Let's just, let's just make this as clear as I can be. True biblical faith is founded, grounded, and guided by the Word of God. 66 books, 40-some authors, one message from one God to one people, His beloved. Bible. I, are you meaning we should sit and hum and hear? God? No, I'm saying you should read your Bible and do what it says. Can I make it any clearer than that? I thought this was a kind of cool, young, hip church. Yeah, we love the Bible. We read it. We do what it says. This is the ancient path of faith. This is not something cool and new. Oh, bummer. Yeah, that's what it is. We put it this way in our history. We say it this way, sola scriptura, by God's word alone. That means that, that the Bible is the final authority in how I think, how I respond, how I behave. The Bible, not my opinion, not my interpretation of it. I read it, I do it. I, I used to love to just, I'm just, this is just confession. I used to love humiliating Mormons. I'm good at it. I'm serious. I'm really good at it. I've, st I've read their whole book. It's a great story. <laughs> not surprised it's a bestseller. It's not true, but it's a great story. And so I used to love, Mormons, I used to love humiliating Jehovah's Witnesses. I would bring them to my house, and I would, I would make them cry. Until one day, I remember I had this experience. I had, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of, of utterly just defeating in debate a Jehovah's Witness. And I was feeling really good about myself. I'm a pastor. I know my Bible. And God smacked me across the back of the head and said, you don't care at all about that person. All you're doing here is trying to feed your own ego, and I want nothing to do with it. And I stopped, and I backed up. And I apologized to the person. And I said, can I ask you one question? And this is now how I handle every person that comes in. Do you have time to speak about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Sure, come into my house. Here's what I asked them. I let them explain what they think. I, I gave this person, I said, will you just explain to me what it is you believe? Just, just let's drop the religious stuff. Just explain to me what you believe, and they'll explain what they believe, and here's all I ask them. We agree on this, right? You've got extra ones, but we agree on this one. This is the Word of God. Yeah, okay. If you just cracked open the Bible and you read it, 
would you believe what you're telling me you believe? Or did somebody have to teach you what you believe in order for you to believe it? Could you just open this and read it and obey it and believe what you believe? And most of the time they go, well, it requires a, a revelation from God and my pastor has, that's not in here. And I love you and all I'm going to ask you to do is go home and read your Bible. If you claim to be a Christian, which Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses do, just go read your Bible. Because I love you and I don't want to see you deceived. Just read your Bible. And here's the part where it started to suck. That guy walked out of my house. Two of them. There's always two of them. They walked out of my house. I sat down, I cried, and I repented before the Lord, and I said, I don't want to be that way anymore. Change my heart, transform who I am. And in that moment where I, I remembered and I was reminded of the forgiveness that was already mine in him, that quiet, still moment that you have after repentance, Jesus, see, that was really good advice you gave them. You should take it yourself. If I just opened this up and read it, would I believe what I believe? Or have I allowed some other things, some traditions, some garbage to sneak into my thinking? So because of that, I go back to this every day. And I read through it, and I let it convict me, and I let it disagree with me, and I let it win. Because it always does anyways, and I've just found it's better to give up at the beginning. It's like when your older brother starts beating on you. He's going to win, okay? Just give up. Faith follows the unseen because it follows the scriptures. It follows the word of God. Amen? Faith sees and focuses on the invisible because it's born of the invisible. You got your faith through hearing the word of God. And like begats like according to Genesis 1. So the invisible seed of the word of God was planted in you and now it helps you see the invisible through the audible just like you received it by faith. I hope that's graspable for everyone here. Because I want to push this one step further if I can. We follow the invisible, which is the Word of God, because it is the, the sole authority on the planet for what God says. Amen? But also, according to John 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is the Word made flesh. I follow the Bible because in the Bible I see Jesus on every page and it is all about him and I want to be obedient to him and I want to follow him and I want to be used by him because I want Jesus to be made much of in my life and through my life and so I follow the Bible because it's Jesus. Jesus is the word. He is the word made flesh to dwell with man. He is the rock of ages that we build our life upon. He's the anchor that goes behind the veil that is my hope, that anchors my life. He is the foundation upon which everything that makes this life worth living is built upon. Why do I follow the Word? Because I'm some religious nut? No, because it's Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 11, we're just going to do this real fast. I want to be faithful to get through this text. Hebrews chapter 11, 23, we're going to go through, uh, through 28 real fast. We're going to look at a dude named Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king said, you need to bring me all the baby boys. I'm going to kill them all. And his parents went, our baby is cute. 
rare in a newborn baby. And they decided to hide him for three months. I love you all and your babies. Verse 24, so they hid him. They weren't afraid of the king by faith. Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of, the, uh, of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Who's the reward? Jesus. 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, catch this, as seeing him who is invisible. 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Real fast, I want to end with these four quick things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with them. Just jot them down, and I would encourage you. I don't have time to dig into this story. Go find it in Exodus and dig through it yourself. Four things we see from this passage. Faith, faith sees the invisible, but it allows the invisible to control and dictate our lives. That's what we've been talking about, right? It's the foundation. It's the pathway. It's the word. What does that do? What do we mean? Let's not leave that kind of fuzzy-wuzzy out there in outer space. It controls me. It means this. It means that, that, that you come to it and your actions and your obedience is submitted to the word. Regardless of the fear you might feel, we, we understand that God is the supreme authority, and so his way is better than any other way. His way is higher. His way is greater. His thinking in his way is better than everything else. So my, I come to it, and like, the, the, like Moses' parents, we go, the king tells me to do this, and God's telling me to do this. I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to fear what the king can do to me. I fear God more than I fear man. I know it's not popular or, 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 or cool anymore to say we should fear God, but the Bible says it, so we're going to say it. We ought to fear God more than we fear man. Secondly, Moses grows up in the house of Pharaoh. He grows up being told, you are, you are uh, the, 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 the son of the daughter of the king. And he says, no, 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 I'm the son of the king. You just got the wrong king. I'm part of the people of God, not the people of Egypt. And he chooses to be identified with God's people rather than with all of the pleasures and all of the amazing things in the world. Notice, please, it is not saying that those things were not, there was no wealth in Egypt. Well, there's no real wealth in Egypt. No, there was wealth in Egypt. There was lots of great stuff in Egypt. I'm not in any way or ever have tried to make it out to be like, well, the life of sin is just horrible. It's not fun at all. It was a lot of fun. But ultimately, it left me filled with emptiness. It left me filled with more and more wretchedness. It gave me more and more of an addiction that I could no longer fulfill. And while it might have been fun at the beginning, come on, somebody, it led to slavery. Just like it might have been great when Joseph was in Egypt, right? He was second in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. He had it pretty good, but followed a few generations down the way, and the people of God are now in bondage and in slavery. That's the exact same way it is with sin. It's enjoyable at the beginning. You seem like you're in charge, but hang around there long enough, and you're going to be the slave to it. And so Moses said, no, 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 I'm not following down that path again. So faith controls my actions and my obedience. Faith also controls my identity. I am a child and a son of God. Amen? Three, faith sets the path for my life. Moses was obedient to God and followed the path of God that God set before him. And fourth, and finally, Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Faith controls my eternity. I let the word of God control my eternity. I trust the blood of Jesus, not only in this life, but come on somebody, in the life to come. 
Let's stand to our feet. I know we've gone over a, a lot this morning. And I know I had to do it quickly because we've got an announcement coming up here at the end of the service that we're pretty excited about. It did. Um, but, but I want to make sure that we pause for a second and not miss the opportunity we have here to respond to God's Word. Faith does all these things. Faith, faith, faith comes, it, it helps us see the invisible because we see the invisible. We we obey what we see. We follow what we see. We're obedient to it. We, we let it form and shape who we are. And we let it set the path of our life based off of our identity as a child of God. We trust it for our eternity. And what I want to make sure this morning is this. If you have not repented of either your wretchedness or your religion. I don't care which you are. They're both just as hopeless. I want to call you and invite you to repent. Again, I don't, I don't have a magic prayer. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have a wand I get to wave over you. It's not about any of that. It's not about some grand, huge declaration and gesture. It's about you saying, God, once and for all, I'm wrong and you're right. If you're over here on the religious side, it's I'm not going to trust my performance any longer because let's be real, I've failed miserably at it. I'm going to abandon my performance. I'm not good enough, but your perfection is good enough. If you're on the other side and you, you just love being a sinner, if you're like me and I just, I really liked sinning finally admitting that what I'm doing is not ultimately leading to the freedom that I claim it's leading to, but I'm in bondage to it. And I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Regardless of which camp you're in or where in the spectrum you fall, I'm calling you as the Scriptures call you to repent. Repentance just means admitting you're wrong and, and saying that God's right, asking Him to change the way you think so that you can change the way you behave. So that you abandon your religion, you abandon your wretchedness, and you cling, and you abide, and you rest in Jesus. He is the only hope you or I have. So I'm going to call us to respond. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat, because I'm going to be honest, I don't care. I don't, I don't need to post numbers on a website of how many people came forward. I care about how many people get to walk into eternity. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to enter back into worship and sing of the grace and the glory of God. And I'm going to open up the table here. And we're going to take communion as we do each and every week. We're going to remember the shed blood of Jesus. We take by method known as antiquation, where we take a piece of bread, we dip it in the cup, if you have placed your faith or if you are placing your faith in Jesus today, if you're abandoning your performance and grabbing a hold of his perfection, or if you have done that in the past, this table's open to you. You don't have to be a member here. 
You don't have to have signed a piece of paper or repeated a chant. It's open to you. The only thing I would ask is that as you, as you take, remember that this is the, the moment where we remember the broken body and the shed blood of our God and Savior, Jesus. And let's remember the sacrifice that he made for us and the way that he made for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning for your presence here with us. I thank you that I, I believe you're working in our hearts today. I, I have the faith to believe that you're, you're doing something beyond what is seen, beyond the exterior, you're, wor you're working internally. And I believe you're granting us repentance this day. You're granting us the faith to trust and abide in you. The faith as a gift to be given to us that grace might flow into our life and we might be transformed. God, not just grace to forgive us, but grace to free us.